Hey team, it's Matt Rinkine here. And you might have heard, my brand new book releases on Amazon on March 8th. It's been a labor of love that I think can really help you navigate some of the challenges you're experiencing in your own life. I go over toxic positivity and how to think you're in it for everyone else. In reality, you're in it for yourself. And I express that through this entire book and help learn from our own mistakes and how to turn the lens on ourselves and ask good questions. So go to Amazon on March 8th and you can get the Kindle version for only 99 cents. Just search for the book title, The Eternal Optimist. It's never too late. And you can download it directly to your device. That's it for me. Let's get into today's episode. Ron, welcome to the show today, sir. How are you? Thank you, Matt. I am amazing. I'm super excited to be here. It's an amazing day. You're doing really well today, and I love to go deep. I love to have real conversation. I think exchange community really, really does that for people. And we probably will talk about exchange a lot today. Before we dive into exchange, I'd love to share an origin story with the audience before we dive into the challenge. The origin story of how I met Mr. Ron Hill, it dates back to 2021. He spoke in a panel when I was being exchange trained. He was the very first speaker I heard at exchange training. And I was blown away. I was super impressed. And I loved everything that I learned from Ron then. And now it's just coincidence or divine intervention of call it what you will. We get an opportunity to really reconnect here. So real pleasure to meet again and really learn together and share with our audience today some of the challenges and some of the light energy you're bringing to the world, Ron. So real pleasure, real pleasure. And as we dive in, we like to go deep into the challenging stuff here. I know we've got plenty of places we could go. So let's dive in, shall we? What is something that's been incredibly challenging for you in your life that we can start to share with the audience? Before I jump into that, I want to acknowledge you because you did such a gracious job of acknowledging me. And I think it's really interesting because you never really know where you actually have impact on somebody. I didn't realize that I was the first person that you heard at exchange. But I also recall the first time I was in a breakout room with you and just the amazing energy that you brought to the conversation. So anyway, so I appreciate about you. So I wanted to acknowledge that as we started. Yeah, so it's interesting thinking about especially challenges, like what I would say on the far side of, maybe even on the far side of the challenge or far side of the complexion, because it almost seems when you start to get the lessons from those, like, was that really like a great challenge? But as I mentioned mm-hmm. to you, one of my great challenges probably is being a parent. But mm-hmm. one of the biggest challenges of our family was when my 16-year-old son, he was barely 16, our oldest son. And we thought we were doing a lot of the right things, but we were a little bit confused at what was happening. And then literally before we knew it, he had a drug and alcohol issue. We found ourselves sitting in a program in Kansas City, sitting with the head of that program as my son was going into an outpatient program for drug and alcohol addiction. And one of the things that I had said was that, how soon can you fix him? And when can we get back to life? And I laugh at that now because we go the link in the summer and we've got all this stuff. And David Roberts was the head of the program. And he said, well, honestly, this is a family issue. It's not just your son. And here's actually what's going to change for you guys and your family. So it was a point where I would say it was the call to adventure. And it took me a few times to be able to answer that call. That was the big challenge for us as a family. We're suddenly one day we're raising our teenager. The next day we're sitting in a group session with a bunch of parents that all have the same challenge. And very much like exchange, suddenly we find ourselves going super deep with these people we don't even know. 
So anyway, it was an yeah. interesting crossroads. I'm so glad you're sharing this, and thank you for having the courage to share this transparently, Ron. This is a blind spot for me, a fear for me, because when I was growing up, I was I had a highly overprotected, strict parent upbringing. I was an only child, so they had their eyes on me. I didn't have any experience with drugs or alcohol until I got to college, with the alcohol at least, right? So I wouldn't know what to look for. I wouldn't know any of this. It would be a complete shock and surprise to me to see this happen in my family. So when you say drug and alcohol issue, what alcohol, what drug, if you could distinguish that, what was the issue? Well, as I look back on that, the issue really started with marijuana. And I'm probably dating myself as I say marijuana or pot or weed, I think is what the kids call it today. And it started literally with, I think it was, you know, heading to a sporting practice at high school when he was very young and he tried one thing. And for him, he told us that the first time that he smoked weed, he felt normal for the very, very first time. And he assumed that that's what other people felt like and that when he wasn't using, it felt like something was missing. Mm. And this can all come together in my journey. But one of the things Mm. that we've learned is that in the world we live in, there's so much stress and anxiety that we put on every human. And it can be especially tough for kids. And depending upon how the kids are wired, there ultimately is this hole where they're trying to fill it. And we try to fill things externally instead of internally. And so Mm. sometimes there's all kinds, it could be food, it could be drugs, it could be alcohol, it could be pornography, it could be all of these things that we use to try to fill that emptiness inside of us as a human being. So that's what was happening with him at the time. He was trying to find a solution and that seemed to be the best solution for him at the time. And then that very quickly accelerated for him trying a bunch of different stuff. Luckily, he came to us within a year of this all happening. And said, I need help. I'm out of control. I need help. And I don't know what to do with this. Wow. That's impressive that he was able to even be aware that he had a challenge and that he did come to you. So yeah, we felt very lucky because there's a lot of families that don't, you know, the family recognize it before either the child or it could be the parent that actually is the addict in that case. Well, from the conversation you had with the doctor of the outpatient program, you'd ask him the question, how soon can you fix him? And he talked about the family opportunity, a family issue. From that conversation forward, what was your wife's internal journey together? What was that like for you? Well, for me, as I think back, all of that time period was a bit in slow motion. That was six years ago at this point. And so it's a bit in slow motion, but for me, I tend to be a fixer. So it's like, okay, what can I do to fix somebody else's problem? And ultimately, I called a friend of mine, a guy by the name of Jake Clark, and he runs a program that's called Save a Warrior. Okay. And Save a Warrior is a program for military veterans and first responders that allow them to get their life back. So anyway, I met Jay through a chance encounter and he had this impact on me and I knew he was in recovery. So I called him and I said, hey, I just want to talk this through because I want to understand what my son's life is going to be like. You've got three children and you want the best for them. And suddenly you have this concern that like maybe there's this challenge and like what kind of hardship, what's this going to be like? And Jake said to me, I want you to come and witness at cohort for Save a Warrior. It's like, I have all these questions. And he's like, dude, come. Are you coming in August or September? Like, you don't have a choice. You need to come witness. And I said, I don't know how I get in a position to really help people. And he said, September or August. And I said, I'll be there in September. Ultimately, we made it through that summer. My son got out of outpatient. And then it was a beautiful program where they connect these kids and they make being in recovery a lot more fun than being high. 
And so he was on his journey. We actually had a whole family event that we went to in Denver. It was like a family concert with all of these kids and families in recovery. And so from there, I flew out to California to Saber Warrior. I got off the plane and somebody picked me up and they said, what branch of the military are you in? And I'm very proud. And I'm like, well, I'm not in the military. I'm here as a witness. And the gentleman said, there are no witnesses. Welcome to 046. And suddenly, like I had this fear, this fear wash over me. I got in a van with two other people. Nobody said a word. And I headed off to this week-long retreat, which absolutely changed everything for me. Wow. Please, please tell us more about this retreat because you're touching at something that may be a secret that some of us have out there. It may be really difficult to talk about and to find someone who can talk about it. Just massive respect for you, Ron. Please continue. We're all ears. Thanks, Matt. So I went to Saber Warrior and I heard Jake say, the head of the program, that they basically open you up, shove a boot in your chest, and then put you back together and send you on your way at the end of the week. <laughs> and so it was a very quick, deep dive for me into trauma. These amazing men and women that had been in military service, some of them first responders, and they had so much trauma, not just from the work that they did, but also what did or did not happen while they were growing up. And what I learned is that we all carry trauma in some form. Our body remembers this trauma, and then we can act out in many ways as we start to get older. Bringing this back to the challenge with my son, I realized that so much of, I didn't cause what happened to my son, but I could be a better version of myself. Ultimately, as I went deep into the work, I started meditating I had this great cohort that I was part of that we stayed in communication for a long time as we were on this journey to be better versions of ourselves. And so as I started to let go of control and become a better version, I became a better father and I gave my son the space to heal. I became a better leader and I allowed my company the space to grow and my leaders the space to become the best version of themselves. My wife and I were doing this together our relationship became richer and stronger. And so that was just this aha moment for me. And John Berghoff has said this, and I know it didn't come from him, but I attribute it to him. If I am not the problem, then there is no solution. And I heard John say that one day and I wrote that down and I resonated with that because that was really this experience of my own, the catalyst for me to become the best version of myself as a leader and so I knew that was an inspiration for ultimately the work that I wanted to do in the world. Wow. No, that was a uh, lot. I just threw out there. That was a lot. Let's park it for a second because there's two things that are really coming to mind here. And first, I'll just make a statement. If I'm not the problem, then there is no solution. I love that. That is like a personal philosophy. What is it I can own about me and own about my part of this, own about everything in my life? What is it I can own? And if yeah. I feel that it's someone else, then where's my blind spot that I'm not seeing? That's what I've been coached to believe. So I love that you finished with that. Before you said that, though, is where I want to unpack. You said the words, when I let go of control, and then your yeah. relationship with your wife got better, your business, your teammate, your employees, things grew and expanded from there. Can you talk about what did that mean to you, letting go of control? It's interesting as I unpack how I grew up and some of the challenges. And it's interesting because trauma is not what happened to us, but how we respond to what happened to us. So some of us could have very simple things that don't seem traumatic, but the way we respond to them, it anchors in our body and we carry that with us. Yeah. So I had spent so much time trying to control every situation. I don't know whether it was like a protective mechanism 
And it was this need to be a perfectionist. I'm a firstborn. I read this book growing up, firstborn. And I have this pride with, I think they call it the discouraged perfectionist because we can never really be a perfectionist. And so I felt like that kept me at arm's length from people that I loved. It made it difficult because my standards were so high for people that work for me that they could never actually please me or it would always be something better that could be done. So as I started to let go of control and realizing some of the stuff that I acted like I had control over, I didn't. Like my son, I mean, your kids are young, but we really have no control over our kids. And for a very long time, I had people like, oh, well, you just need to control your kid when you go into the store. There's so much that's out of our control that on the back side of that, this idea that if I'm not the problem, that there's no solution is almost like this freeing because we can let go of all the other stuff and just realize like, what is it I'm resisting or how can I show up in a better way? If that makes sense. Absolutely. Well, what's a practical example? You talk about your business and letting control in your business. I mean, the way that I know you professionally is that you are very successful in business. You have a successful organization. We're going to get to that in a little while, over 25 years. So when you say letting go of control in your business and that changed everything, what's a practical example of the way maybe you used to do it? And then after you let go of control, what's that example? Well, let's say a leader that works for me, like whether it's sales or HR, and like with me really being able to get into the minutia and ask all of these detailed questions or wanting somebody to do it my way, which is not the right way, but would be a preference factor. And then ultimately, you know, through this whole journey, we became purpose-driven. I found conscious capitalism. And letting go of control is really how do we fulfill the purpose and how do we show up and do we live the core values of the organization? And in between, the details are less important. And so that creates less angst for me. It creates a better relationship with the people on my team. And so that's probably like a really good example. And I think there's ways around the household that I've let go of those things. Some people might say I still have some of them. I hold on to it. And I do feel that conscious leadership is the journey of a lifetime. So I do feel like we always have room for improvement. So hold on here. We're three weighing in. Uh, Ron Hill's wife is now live with us. Miss Hill, can you tell us an example? (laughs) I'm just kidding. So yeah, what might be an example there? Because I identify with some of the things you're sharing, this idea of a recovering perfectionist, at least that's what I would say, recovering perfectionist and having control. And how does that show up now that you've let go with your spouse? Well, I would say with my spouse and also with my kids, it is much more about curiosity than it is about a particular way of doing things. And I would completely admit that probably my wife is the hardest piece of that and probably the last thing to let go because there's times where I still have preference factors on the way that things get done. But really just being curious, I think even at home, I think in terms of process, And how can we be more efficient? It doesn't necessarily need to be my way or her way, but when we can be curious and have a discussion, then maybe we can find a better way and a better solution, which is really the unlocking the collective wisdom, which can be done actually at home or really any place. Tell me if this is in the ballpark, because this is highly important to me and our audience. One of my core values is curiosity. So I'm feeling when it comes to being curious, the example would be my wife wants to use QuickBooks and run our finances in a very specific way. And my way is get together at the dining room table once a week on Sunday and look at my spreadsheets that I took a long time. They look great. They're very detailed and, and I love it. 
And she wants to simplify it that way. And this is a headbutting at some point in the past because I want her to do it this way. Yeah. And now she's running it and she wants to do it her way. And that was a headbutt. So the curiosity yeah. is being open to living the purpose and the values of our family. It's not do it my way. And right. when I let go of that, our conversations around finance are now different and they're a little better. Yeah, and I would say it sounds like, right, she's willing to own that and to take that. Yes, I couldn't get over that I'd spent all this time creating this system and now I'm going to hand it to her to run it and she wants to do it a different way. That makes sense to her yeah. on her terms and I couldn't get over that. That right. was perfectionist attached to the control. Yes, uh, yeah. Which I resonate with. I completely understand. And yeah, with our spouses, sometimes that's the really, really hard work. With our kids, it's hard. Yeah. It's hard with our team, but it seems to be less hard with our team than it does with our spouses, especially, I would think, mixing work yeah. and relationship. Yeah. I wonder how, over time, being curious, letting go of control, how this played out for you during this time of going through the boot camp, where you're with yeah. your son, you're at the outpatient place, you go through the boot camp. This is six years ago. How has your heart changed, your thinking mm -hmm. changed with your son since all of this happened? Yes, I came from Saber Warrior and that was a week, like it was just this small piece in time, but it shifted my perspective to realize like, oh, I have some stuff to work on. And I also came back and I worked on the relationship with my dad, which was a big part of what I talked about when I was at Saber Warrior. And I came back and I took a lot of responsibility and I had this really beautiful conversation with my father. And I would say that's changed our relationship. I use the term space a lot. Sometimes people struggle with what I mean by that. But all of a sudden, the relationship with my father became very spacious. So there's room for both of us in the relationship. There's room for curiosity. There's room for challenge. And that was because I took 100% ownership of how I had showed up in the past. And so that really led me to, okay, how do I leverage that with my son? And how do I let go of the control and I let him be on the journey and as an example, when he went into his recovery program, I had a document and there was 30, maybe 40 bullet points of a contract for my son. And I laugh at this. The head of the program, David Roberts, he's like, this is really amazing. He's like, can we get it down to three? Oh, he's you like, came up with the 40 bullet points and gave yeah, it to well, him. Like, and he's like, that, like, here's all the stuff that he needs yeah. to stay agreed to and that he signs and, and ran my company like that one way instead of like, oh, can we just co-create three things that we can agree on? And that like they become non-negotiable. So that was also a way to let go of control because now we were partnering or unlocking our collective wisdom. I probably wouldn't have used that term at the time. Mm. And so anyway, like whenever I would learn a lesson there as a father, I could use that at work because it was the same. Like I think our journey as leaders, it's the same whether we're at home or whether we're at work. And at the Conscious Leaders Plus, which is the culmination of all of this journey, it's interesting because we've had people that have come through that want to be a better spouse or they want to be a better parent. And that's the same work to show up better as a parent as it is to show up better as a leader in our company or organization. Well, I'd love to go into that realm and move to the business side of it because I know you've been in business for 25 plus years, what I would deem successful. I know you've had impact on me. Can you talk about why did you decide to get into the line of work? Just what do you do? Why did you decide to get into that line of work run? Well, to simplify this, I'm going to talk about the Conscious Leaders Quest and then I'll give a little bit of background on that. Okay. 
And so at the Conscious Leaders Quest, we help modern leaders discover the best version of themselves. And we believe that when a leader can do the work to discover the best version of themselves, then they are much more likely to build companies that solve the world's problems, or as we would say, cultivate positive change in the world. And when I think about making impact, like you look around, you just watch the news, you're like, oh my God, there's so much stuff going on. And the simplest thing is if we each can work to become the best version of ourselves, it creates ripples. And I think if we're not the best version of ourselves, it literally can send out tsunamis from us in how we create harm and destruction. And I think this is happening in companies right and left. And people don't even realize the way that they actually become a stressor or become a demand to the people that work for them. And so I think we get to change the world when we start looking at ourselves. And just to back that up, early on, I worked for several different companies with culture that I very quickly decided I do not want. I don't want to work in an organization where I have anxiety and I have fear and I do my best work and then somebody yells at me because they have their own issues going on. So I started a company called Redemption Plus, and that's been over 25 years ago. I've since sold that company. But the idea was that at the time, I would have said to create work-life balance. And this idea of how do we just live our life? And today, I would say it's a congruence, which I'm still working on this today. And so we set out to do this at Redemption Plus, and there's many different mistakes that were made along the way, like listening to my old school mentor. They're like, well, you have to be probable and really successful, and then you can treat people well. In the meantime, you need to have some fear in the organization and all of these kind of old school things that just do not work. So I ultimately found my balance with that. We found purpose. And as we grew at one point, the more we grew, the less we had on the bottom line. And there was all this process and waste and rework and things I had no experience with just being an entrepreneur and having a background in finance. So I learned about purpose and ways and we work and process. And as we became purpose-driven, I then found this organization called Conscious Capitalism with the purpose of elevating humanity through business. And I'm like, oh, that's exactly what I've been trying to articulate. So we built Redemption Plus around this idea on how do we elevate humanity through business. And so we ultimately ended up with purpose, mission, vision, values, and behaviors that became a framework for alignment and clarity in the organization. And then once we really started operating within that framework, things became easier. We became more profitable. Our processes became better. We had less waste and rework. So that was really this idea on how we really doubled down, I would say, around purpose. And then this idea that in conscious capitalism, conscious leadership is one of the four tenets. And if I was drawing this out, I may have said conscious capitalism, but I wouldn't put conscious leadership as an equal tenant in conscious capitalism. Because if we're not conscious leaders, we're not going to build conscious organizations. We're probably not going to build purpose-driven organizations. And the more we become awake or aware of our actions and we start to work on those, then the more likely we are to realize the impact that we have in the corporation or small business. But it's this idea that there are no trade-offs in business, Mm -hmm. that the more work we do on ourselves, the better we treat our employees, actually the more profitable that we become. And it's not the other way around, and there doesn't have to be any trade-offs there. I love everything you're sharing, and I know that there's a listener out there right now who's hearing this, and they feel that they are working on themselves, and at the same time, they may have a blind spot, they may be causing these tsunamis they don't even realize, and I'm wondering, 
how would I know that I'm causing tsunamis? Like, how would I become aware of these tsunamis? Quick answer, hire Ron, everyone. Well, and at the same time, how would I even know? How would I become aware, Ron? Matt, like that is such a great question. And if we can come up with an answer to that, then it will solve so many problems for me. I'm still pondering the answer to that question. For me, it was the journey with my son that was the catalyst. I feel that there are leaders that are making money, and sometimes they're making so much money the old-fashioned way that they just continue to do it that way because when we look inside and we start to deal with our baggage and the way we show up, it can be messy. It can be complicated. But what I would say is that as a leader, if we can look conscious leadership as the journey of a lifetime and that we always have work to do on it. And you work with leaders, you're a coach. One of the things that I found was that if you're leading a company, actually, I think if you're a human being, you should have a coach. If you're leading a company, you should have a coach because you can't see your blind spots. And it was when I started working with my own coach, which came after the Saber Warrior stint. And before that, I would have felt like, I don't really need a coach. Like, I got it figured out. But it didn't. And so this is a long answer here. I said, leaning into this curiosity and is what you're doing today working for you? Like, how does it feel? And along this journey, I mean, ultimately, we have this internal wisdom. And so much of my journey was spent running spreadsheets and up in my head. And that when I can really sink down somatically and I can get into my heart and I can understand the answers are all there. And I would say if somebody really stopped to listen, they're going to know that they've got blind spots. I think we know that. But there's so many distractions these days that I think it's easy to avoid it or not to hear it because we're not listening for it because we're on social media or we're worried about what people we don't know are saying about us. On, on the major distraction. That's right. Other people's opinions. And I think that the world and many businesses and technology are wired to cause stress and anxiety. And they're doing a really, really great job. And I think as leaders, we're allowing this to happen. We're also allowing it to happen to our children. I could probably go off a little Well, I could, I could go off with you on this one. I tend to believe yeah. that we may feel, if we run a social media company, that we are doing the best to bring out the best in people. And the side effect of that is we're causing this thing that's fear of other people's opinions and wanting to be compared. And comparison is one of the biggest evils out there. So I agree yeah. with what you're saying. There are a number of places out there that, that this shows up. You said a word, though, that I don't know if everyone knows what it means. You said, feel it somatically. And I'm curious when you say feeling it somatically, if I've never heard that word before, or if that just went through my head and I don't really know the depth of it, can you talk a little bit about what feeling it somatically in your body? What does that mean to you, Ron? Yeah, well, you just said feeling it somatically in your body, which is, you know, somatic is feeling at the conscious leader's quest. Part of our process is that what we do is cognitive and it is somatic. And so as a leader, when we show up, when we understand how we show up in our body, then we can start to show up in a better way. And a great example is that, and this is the work of probably our mutual friend, Dr. Dan Friedland, when we come into a meeting and we're in a state of fight or flight in our body, we might come in, we have anxiety, carrying all this stuff, and we walk into a room we're going to bring that with us. And mm. so when we're carrying stress and anxiety in our body and we come into a meeting and we start to share that, then suddenly we have a whole room of people, probably the leaders' company that are in fight or flight or in anxiety and distress. But when we can learn the skills to be able to be more comfortable in our bodies and to show up in cycles of giving and receiving, then that's also contagious. 
right? So going back to somatic, it really is how we're actually physically showing up in our body. And I had my coach for a long time, Steve Havel. And this is his thing, but I love the way he said it. He said, my grandmother used to say, what you're doing is speaking so loud that I can't hear what you're saying. And so it's important to understand how do we react to things and how do we physically show up and what does it feel like in our bodies as leaders? You're saying words, and I've done some somatic coaching as in how your coach should be my somatic coach. And these are some of the things that have brought out things that used to identify as very cerebral. Now I view the heart and the mind as joined before I'm cerebral. And sometimes I turn on this empathy thing. The somatic coach brought that out of me. And I found myself all of a sudden crying like a baby. You don't know why. And all of a sudden, all this stuff comes out. And I have this freedom or this lightness because yeah. of working with a somatic coach. And that's why I want to dive into it. Because if you haven't heard of somatic coaching or really be to feel it, there's a way to unlock this part in your body. I think that's what you're describing. Yeah. And that's, it was one of the things with leading our first Conscious Leaders Quest cohort last April, that so many of the testimonials from people said it was the first time I really understood how I was showing up in my body. And it was interesting because we did some work where I actually understood some new edges for me. So I think this is the journey of a lifetime. And I think when we understand as a leader, we're on this journey and I may not know what work I'm going to do tomorrow. I just signed up for a new program that just looked amazing. And so like, you just never know, like, what is the next thing on our journey that's going to help us continue to unlock the wisdom within us and help us really be comfortable in a way that helps other people. And the easiest way to say that is to be the best version of themselves. Mm -hmm. And so I think when we as humans are the best version of ourselves, then we allow others to be who they are and to be a whole person and not have to compartmentalize. I often leave that part of me at home because my job doesn't appreciate that piece of who I am as a human being. And I know when I first went to work in the early 90s, somebody gave me advice. I said, you know what, leave your personal shit at home, show up early, work hard, and you'll be successful. It felt so disconnected for me to go, oh, yeah, but I have this other stuff, <laughs> which is only magnified over time. Once like you get married, you have a family. We all have all this stuff. I think we have to learn how to carry it and be very congruent on our journey. Exactly. Congruency and own it and carry it and don't leave it at home and forget about it. Suppress yeah. it. Put it in a lockbox. Learn to own it and yeah. uh, harmonize with everything going on in our lives and in the world is yeah. what I feel. And when we lock it up, it gets bigger, I think. Yes. Oh, yes, it does. It gets angry until it comes out in some way when you lock it up. Because I follow on Instagram some of the things you've done. And I believe I saw you, if I'm not mistaken, in Costa Rica not too long ago on one of your Conscious Leader Quest cohorts. If you could talk a little bit about that, I believe you have one coming up for those who want to take their game to the next level and be able to think, feel, and do everything we're talking about. Please talk about your cohort, Ron. Yeah, so the Conscious Leaders Quest is a partnership that I have with Michael Dietrich Chastain and Peter Katz. And my journey, ultimately, if I kind of go back and I shared a little bit about Save a Warrior and I started working with a coach and things started to change and started to let go of control. And I found, that, oh, there's this formula for how to be more comfortable in my own skin, how to show up who I am naturally. And people sometimes stop me and go, hey, what's going on? Because I've noticed you're a different version of yourself. And I still occasionally have people come up and they're like, I want to figure out what's going on with you because of how you're showing up in the world. And hopefully that continues to be in a positive way. That's the positive ripples are what I'm going for. Mm -hmm. 
And so ultimately, the idea was, how do I continue that journey? But how do I help others along that journey? And thinking about what's the difference that I want to make in the world. And if we can help leaders show up as the best version of themselves, in one way, it sounds so simple. In another way, it's really complex. Then I think we get to change the world. So the Conscious Leaders Quest came out of that. And it came out of an idea that I had and threw it out into the world. And it drew a couple of people. And then we built this framework Connection, ritual, adventure, and wisdom is our framework. And this will sound familiar through exchange. We use the one path method, which is what we call it. But that's really being able to leverage the relationship with our past, our present, and that imagining our future through a new lens and how we can create ultimately what we want to be celebrating about ourselves or our leadership at a future point in time. So this takes place in Costa Rica, this town of Nosara. It felt really magical. My family's been going there. So we brought in what we call our soul family, amazing people to do food. I mean, it's a very thoughtfully designed. It is to support the work that we're doing internally, but like we're nourishing people from the inside out with the food. And we actually even go to the land where the food is grown and... The intent of the people that are making the food for us or even the journey that our surf instructor, we use surfing as a metaphor for leadership and how we're showing up in our own bodies and how we use energy and are we resisting? Are we able to go with the flow and our daily movements? We have this beautiful family that's come together. And so that was our first cohort. And it was important to us that we did work that was transformational And it was the first time we'd all done this work together. The three of us, it felt like magic when it all came together. And then when we unlocked the wisdom in the room, there was not one person that left without some type of transformational experience or some pop or awakening about their own leadership that was like, oh, I didn't even know I was allowed to do that or feel like that as a leader. So we've decided to do the next cohort, April 19th through 25th, 2024 in Nosara, Costa Rica. And that after we fill that one, the goal is for us to offer probably four and then maybe up to six different events a year. We're going to build community behind it and then also have some support services. Because sometimes when leaders go on journeys and start to awaken the possibility inside of them, they have a whole team or there's like, now where do I take all of this stuff? So our current cohort is helping. They're co-creating the support services, how we support them on their journeys. And we're still walking together since April. Fantastic. Wow. That was a lot. That was a lot. Here's what I heard. I heard your soul family is there with you in Costa Rica. I hear there's amazing food. There's amazing camaraderie and connection with other great humans. There are people there for a real transformational journey. Many different metaphors for leadership and life. There's movement. What it's not, what I didn't hear is we're in a room for just the next retreat. This is not the regular thing that you might have heard of. This is different and special and Who's the person that might be interested in this? If there's an avatar of a person, who would this be targeted to or who would be welcome here? Yeah, so we're targeting senior leadership and we like for people to have five or more direct reports currently or at one time. We do feel that there's part of us that feels it's important to build the next generation of leaders, but it's also important to, and I would be in this category, to harness the wisdom of perhaps leaders that have already built something. And how that are continuing on their own journey and still creating impact and change in the world. And so we would have some younger leaders and some older leaders, and we would have really good diversity. 
So we have to see who shows up and who's called for that. And I heard this quote, I'll say it here, and I don't think we would put this on our website, but unfortunately, this work isn't for people who need it. It's for people that want it. So the people that show up at our retreat, they understand that they've at least been called on a journey. And so there's an awakening that there's more out there and there's a deeper level. And there's maybe another version of me that I want to be celebrating in the next nine months or in the next year. And that's ultimately what we've become really good at helping people do. And I get a lot of people that say, oh, you should have so-and-so. They really need this. The people that need it are probably not self-aware enough to know that they need it. Mm. But hopefully over time, we can impact more and more people. But there's only 12 seats. And for this upcoming cohort, we have three people returning from our first cohort that very quickly signed up and said they want to come back and do that again. So there's only nine spots left. And I remember clearly, and those of you out there listening, you can go and I know Michael Dietrich Chastain has been on the show before. And I remember seeing on his and on yours. And so I'm Facebook friends with both you guys. I remember seeing on your Facebook page, some of the great pictures that you took while you were there. So feel free to go out there, friends, and check them out. How might we find you out there on social media, Ron, if we wanted to check out pictures and see that experience, just find out more? How do we do that? So the Conscious Leaders Quest is the best thing. If you Google us, you should find the website. We're on Instagram at the Conscious Leaders Quest. And if you search Conscious Leaders Quest under LinkedIn and Facebook, you will find us there. And then for me personally, Instagram, I'm a purpose Sherpa. So I have just this idea that I'm not a coach. Sometimes I feel like I'm a little bit ahead of people, but I'm not too far ahead of them. And I really want to be able to accompany people on their journey. And then we both become a better version of ourselves. So I love this idea of being a Sherpa. And I do work with companies around building, how do we articulate purpose, mission, vision, values, behaviors. So I do some of that work as so well. So there it is, the, uh, the purpose yeah, so Sherpa it's, on Instagram. Yeah, Ron L. Hill on LinkedIn, Facebook. Yes. And if those of you who are listening to this, what does Ron look like? Well, Ron, just a couple of things you'll see in 2023. Ron has amazing hair. So you're going to see that hair. And if you see this on YouTube, you're going to see over in the background that Ron has a friend over there on the couch. His friend Bodie is over there on the couch. Bodie is the cat over there. I thought Bodie from Point Break. I was thinking Patrick Swayze, but you had a different. Well, how did your cat get the name Bodie? Yeah, well, he actually came with the name Bodhi. So we go to Nosar, which is ultimately where we've been doing the Conscious Leaders Quest. Mm -hmm. And there's orange cats around and they always come around. And then my wife came home from the pet store one day and like, there's a cat there. His name's Bodhi. He's an orange cat. He kept reaching his paw out. And I'm like, we clearly meant to have this cat. I have not always been the biggest fan of cats. And so this guy's really proven me wrong. If I turn around and he's always somewhere lurking in the background. Also, we spend the summers in Bozeman, Montana. So we actually drive across the country. And I said, I would never drive across the country with a cat. I would never be the person with like literally a cat in a car. But <laughs> Mr. Bodie loves a good road trip. Excellent. Excellent. I love at the purpose Sherpa. And just a little bit ahead and guiding from our exchange intersection where you and I connect, I feel like the guide on the side as opposed to the stage on the stage. And you're the guy on the side helping and not trying to take credit for helping the leader get wherever it is they want to go by this purpose-driven mindset and awareness. And This has been fantastic to have you on, Ron. Yeah, awesome. I love how you just put that because that whole guide on the side or Sherpa thing was very freeing to me. Because I'm like, I'm not somebody that has all of the answers. 
I have some answers and I know where to find the answers, but I don't always carry all the answers around. So being a Sherpa and guide, right? And then helping other people really step forward and figure out their own answers is a little bit of magic. I think one of the magical things I've found, a magical quality of Ron Hill today for me, is that I've heard you ask some amazing questions. And that might be the sign of an amazing Sherpa is is the quality of your questions, because your questions have been really on point. And one of them, what version of yourself might you want to be celebrating in a year from now? I love that question out there. So for great questions for a purpose-driven leader and experience and potential awakening, check out... Mr. Ron L. Hill on LinkedIn and ConsciousLeadersQuest.com and at ConsciousLeadersQuest on Instagram. And I'm sure you'll find Ron out there. Ron, this has been amazing. We are now going to progress the lightning round to wrap things up today. Ding, 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 lightning round. To conclude, I'd love to ask you, when you hear the name of our show, the Eternal Optimist cast, what might that mean to you, Ron? Well, it means to me it's abundance. And I think your logo is right, your glass half full, your glass half empty. I've always felt very buoyant and I've always felt like a glass half full, but it also now to me means abundance and we get to build a life, right? That when we put on the lens of abundance, we see abundance. If we put on the opposite lens of scarcity, then we start to see and live in a scarce manner, which is not near as rich and rewarding. Awesome. I love it. If there is a book or a couple of books that have had an impact on your world you'd like to recommend, what might be one or two books that have had an impact on you, Ron? It's so funny. Like you're asking me that. I order books right and left. And literally my mind is going blank. I was looking in my closet at what's sitting on my shelf right now. My mind is literally going blank. But I know it's probably the same for you in exchange where we have all these guest speakers that come on. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to buy their book or I'm going to get this book. So I buy way more books than I actually have time to read. Um, Currently, I'm reading a book on the Greek gods. I got to go to Greece this summer and visit the Acropolis. And so I'm revisiting this cool idea, right? The things that we learned from the Greeks and capitalism. And there was a guide that told us that in the ancient Greek city, they worked on creating safety because when people felt safe, they were more creative and they could build a better society. And I'm like, oh my God, that's the same work that we're trying to do in business today. But anyway, so I just hopefully did a good job of skirting that I just completely went blank on a book title for you. No, that's great. I love what I heard there was that history can repeat itself. And the Greeks were studying ways to create safety so we could help people be their most creative. And the big buzzword in the last 25 years is psychological safety. So I love that you brought that up. Yeah. I mean, they were doing this thousands of years ago, right? And we're still struggling to get that back to this day. <laughs> Yeah. Is there a certain genre of music or some band that gives you some inspiration or that fills your cup, Ron? So the song Dark, it so resonates with me. I also love a lot of Rob Ricardo. I love music that helps us along the journey that has like a great beat. And as you know, in exchange, John's really introduced us to music as an expression and how do we create abundance and how do we lift up? Even before Peter Katz was one of my partners, I heard him on exchange and he became one of my favorites. But my family listens to country music too. And so sometimes you start to hear all the words about things that aren't going right. And like, oh, I need to put on my appreciative lens and listen to Peter Katz or Robert Cardo, one of these guys. Mm. 
Robert Cardo and Peter Katz. If we're talking exchange, I would say Brother James is one of my big ones we have here on our uh, Spotify. And I'm going to go get Robert Cardo and Peter Katz right away. I've heard Peter. I've cried listening to Peter sing before live. So I'm going to go and get Peter and Robert, Robert Cardo, Peter Katz, and put them on the Spotify. So thank you for that. Yeah. No, Brother James, absolutely. He's right in that genre. And I do have a little Brother James radio too on my Spotify. Nice. Nice. Ron, it's been a real sincere pleasure and honor to have you. We love you. We appreciate you. Thank you for opening up and sharing hard stuff and helping us to figure out one more piece of the puzzle on the way to being purpose-driven and being aware and being able to let go of control. So thanks, brother. Man, thank you. I appreciate you. I love the work that you're doing. I love this idea on how you create this lens for optimism and uh, all the conversations that you're having out there and the work that you're doing to help leaders also be the best version of themselves. Thank you.